the Remarkable People podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life. Hello, friends. I'm David Pasqualone, and welcome to this week's remarkable episode of the Remarkable People podcast, The Kimberly Bell Story. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a emotional roller coaster of a week. Kimberly truly has been through the gambit. She had a mom and dad that abandoned her, rejected her, pretty much said, hey, you're on your own. She was raped. She got into bad relationships. She was part of a repeating cycle. When she was a child, even though she was hyper intelligent, she was labeled as mentally handicapped because she had memory issues from the trauma she faced. And the story just goes on and on. So she's going to take you on this journey of her childhood and the dysfunction, how it carried through her teen years into her adulthood, and then how she finally found healing and forgiveness and freedom. And she helps you work through the process yourself. So seriously, get your pen and paper. This is an incredible episode. Like it, share it, rate it, review it, but please apply it. All knowledge, especially real true knowledge comes from God. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode, but it won't do you, me, Kimberly, or any human good unless we apply it. So be excited. It's an upbeat episode. Don't think it's too serious, but the content and the subject matter is heavy. But Kimberly's a remarkable woman, and you're going to truly love this episode. Enjoy. Hey, Kimberly, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. I was just telling our listeners about you, and they are pumped to hear your story. So at this time, if you can start off at your birth and go past present, and then we'll get into the future with your remarkable journey, we would so appreciate it. How's that sound? Great. Sounds great. Sounds great. All right. So where did it all start for Kimberly? Okay. So it all started in the beginning. From before I was five years old, I stayed with my biological mother and father and my uh, sister, who's two years older than me. And I always... I can remember feeling a disconnection from my biological mother. I don't know what it was, but even from combing my hair, getting me dressed, feeding me, it was always a resentment attitude. Not loving, quite different from my biological father and my biological, biological sister whom I was with. Even though he, my biological father was in and out the house and it seemed like we were always rushing, either going to go to church or going to neighbor's house or playing. I, I still remember, you know, the sensitivity that was loving from, from those two. My sister and I had a very good relationship as far as she was my oldest sister, loving, 
played with her, you know, but again, for my biological mother, it was just a disconnection, a very, before I was even turned five, I just would just look at her and always feel what is it about me or what could I do to have this woman put her arms around me, hold me, hug me, tell me she loves me, but it didn't happen. And so I grew up with that void, with that longing, that yearning for this particular person, which is my mother, whom I only knew, to um, give me some type of validation that she loved me. It never came. So I remember physical abuse happening in and out of my family with my biological father and chaotic uh, arguing. As I was saying, he would be in and out. I'm not sure being that young, what the arguments was about. It was clarified, you know, throughout the years when I got older that, you know, it was, you know, running around infidelity pretty much on both parts. Or, But I just knew it was chaotic in, in the household and it was not the abnormal of seeing physical abuse or her crying or her sad or, you know, my father being angry and, you know, putting his hands on her. So one particular incident that changed my life forever was the worst fight that I had ever witnessed, my sister and I. We were coming home from either daycare or school and she they were arguing, they were in the midst of it. And I remember us being told to run out the house and try to get in the car. Both of them ended up going in the car and we drove around, drove around. As you know, the story started unfolding, they were trying to find somewhere for us to stay, but everywhere they were taking us, I guess that, you know, the arguments that we wasn't able to get dropped off. So we ended up, the night had fell. I remember it being dark and we ended up to a gas station and I, it was just, just like it was yesterday. We stopped at the gas station and this particular last fight that I witnessed, he just, with a closed fist, just hit her in her face everywhere that he could. Yeah, I remember her him having hit her hair you know, she had very thick hair wrapped around her, his hand. And I just remember blood just, just going. And my uh, sister, both of us was in the back seat, just went hysterical. She just started crying and trying to fight him. And I just remember just being numb. I was just totally frozen. I, 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 I couldn't cry. I couldn't speak. I just looked and so many things was going in my head, like um, imagining, you know, this beautiful woman that I always um, wanted this love from. What in the world did she do so bad to to have this happen? And why was my dad so angry? And, you know, just so many thoughts was running. But mentally, I just I couldn't speak. I just felt like 
as I said, just numb, just totally frozen. And so we ended up making our way to my grand, um, my grandparents' house, which is her parents. And they had words, of course, for him to bring, you know, their daughter at that, yeah, that back home and that type of um, predicament. And everyone was so upset. And I remember him wanting to take, you know, I believe my brother or I believe he was born, but little, I, I, I it's, it's so vague, but I do remember Shem's, my biological mother saying to him to take me. And all I could remember was wanting my sister to go, why was I going? But yet I was a little hopeful because I was with my biological dad. At least we we were going somewhere. So he ended up dropping me off. He took me to um, his sister's house. Now I'm already traumatically, you know, not knowing after I just witnessed this, what, what's going on, what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to me and him. But we ended up going to his sister's home, his oldest sister and her husband. And he was still quite upset. I remember him, you know, trying to tell my aunt the story. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to stay here. I'll be back. So they showed me the room that slept in that night by myself. And I remember hopeful, one, but scared that, because uh, these were people that I, I never stayed a night with. I trusted what he said, that he would come back. I was still confused about what had happened and wondering how my sister is doing, because we were close. And... Um, waiting for the next morning for someone to tell me what's going to happen to me or my day is going to return. So that never happened. The next morning happened. It, hey, let me, I don't yeah. want to interrupt you, but I want to clarify some things while you, before you move on mm -hmm. at this point, how old were you roughly? Five, five. Five. And you had a sister that was younger, two years older than me. Oh, two years older. And, and then you had a yes. younger brother. And yeah, I believe, see, the, the order of us was my older sister. She's two years younger, um, older than me. Then it's myself. And then it was my brother. She did finally have the boy. And then she had two other children after, from but, my father, after us. Yeah. But at this point in the story, there's three At this years. point in the story, yeah. And then um, the last question I have on this is, the distance that you felt between your mother and you, did your mm -hmm. sister also feel that distance or did they feel close? No, they never felt that. They felt close. They still, yeah. They felt close. Okay. I just wanted to clarify and, yes. and communicate those thoughts. So you're at people who are almost, you know, you've never stayed the night with them. You don't no. have a close relationship. Pick up there. Yes. But I do know that that was his sister. So she was the oldest of them, which was my paternal aunt and her husband. So they said to me, you know, this is where you're going to stay. And we love you. You might look different than us, but we love you. And 
I pretty much just got that. I never knew that they legally went to adopt me until later when I went to get a job. That's when the first time I ever seen a birth certificate that was changed. I just pretty much started as their 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 child when I got to school when my during my early my elementary school years was my last name which was Bell I don't even recall if I ever was a Clark from my biological I I did not get any one to pretty much sit me down and explain what was happening meantime my father was coming in and out because of course he had a relationship with his sister, which is my aunt and um, going, he was moving, you know, on with his life after having two other children by my, by my mother, they finally got a divorce and um, he would come basically. And he would say, you know, I'm going to come and get you. And a lot of times there were mis, you know, promises that never was fulfilled. I would get my stuff packed. I would be sitting, waiting for hours until one day my adopted dad gave him a sit down talk and was like, he was, I remember his voice kind of changed. So I know that was very important for him to speak up for me and pretty much tell him, you know, to pretty much stay away if he's gonna be promising me that he was gonna come and get me to stay with him and he doesn't because it's it's doing more harm than good to me. And so during those times, I would ask to go and see my sister and my siblings and go and see my mother. I would do some crying times when I would say, you know, out of hurt and pain, I want to go and stay with my mom. Regardless of her treating me and I knew she didn't treat me like my oldest sister or even like me. I didn't, I knew as a child that this woman didn't like me, but I loved her. So I would cry and want to stay with her. And I would hear my, my adopted mom tell me what well, out of her hurt and not, not, not even having the knowledge because no one prepared them for adopting a child that had already lived with their, her biological family is that she would say, I don't understand you. You're crazy that you still want to stay with your mother and this woman mistreated you. Why would you want to stay with someone? We love you. Why would you want to stay with someone that is being, that's been mean to you that has, you know, abused you. And so which you know. for an adult thinking through things <laughs> makes total sense right. for a child, child God exactly. given we're all born to love our mother and father, right. no matter exactly. how much of a disappointment they are. You're Since right. Both of you were, I mean, you were a child, but she just, exactly. Didn't, she didn't get it. She missed that day of school. Right. <laughs> and, right. They, and, and then those times back in the seventies, they didn't even have the resources that they have now and educating, you know, people to, you know, so their belief was prayer and only prayer through, we were AME Zion and we were, they were really heavy in church. So, but you're absolutely right. And my adopted dad was my savior because I remember him, you know, speaking up for me and saying to her, you know, little mom, you know, if, 
that's what they called each other, little mom and daddy Bill. He said, you know, little mom, if she wants to, you know, go and see her mom, you know, that's her mom, you know, let her, you know. So I just want to put that out there. Then, you know, with the conversation, they would let me go and see my biological mom every now and then because of me wanting to, from what my understanding wasn't her wanting me to come. It was me wanting to come. And so as they see me coming back from visits with the with, with her and my siblings, worse mentally than I left, they, they put a stop to it. And when I said worse, it's because me growing up, I still was feeling that disconnection. It was almost like I was a visitor. It wasn't like I was her child. I remember her giving me food stamps just like she was. And at that time, they were the the little papers and yeah, different It was colors. like paper money. Yeah, yeah was- paper money in different colors. They, she would give me almost the same amount that my other sibling and say, go ahead to the store. It was nothing different. And it was so hurtful because if you can understand, David, I'm up here in secretly inner yelling, saying, maybe this is the day that this woman won't let me go back. She'll love me and say, Kim, you're going to stay with us. And it never came. So after a while that those visits stopped when my parents would see a difference of me coming back. Yeah. And it's so common. Sadly, I, this is something that's really hard. I grew up an only child. My Mm -hmm. parents were never married. My dad wanted nothing to do with me. And all I ever wanted to do is please God and have a strong family. Love my kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you see all around you, the divorce rate. I don't care if you say you're a Christian or not. It's the same. Right. It's 60 plus percent, 50 plus right. percent, depending on the statistics. And the kids are suffering for the parents' inability to stick it out. Right. And what you went through, I'm so sorry. And it breaks my heart. But it's too common that, you know, you're there, you're longing for your mother's love, your father's love, yours, your case, your mother. And she's not giving it to you. So then you come back to the people who love you and are caring for you. Right. And it's an emotional, I almost it's said a bad most, word. Uh, it's an emotional, emotional storm, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's the same roller coaster, but you got a you got a better one storm. It was absolutely a roller coaster storm. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know if this was for you and we live in a different generation, but like when you and I were growing up, there was hard lines to the wall for the phone. Now everybody's got a cell phone. But I know kids who they talk to their mother or father. I've observed it. And then they're like emotionally distressed. They don't realize that they're not making the connection. They're not mentally mature enough, but they spend five hours just pissed off at the world because they feel that rejection. So did you recognize the pain? Like, obviously you didn't process it, how we're discussing it, but your, your parents that loved you and adopted you, they saw it and they dealt with it. But did you come back depressed or angry or did you recognize you were coming back emotionally wounded? Not at that time. After going through young adult and making different choices and decisions, trying to get validations from other people. And even I do recall going through and I asked my therapist about it later. I went home and I had a snack bowl and one of the visits I came home and I guess I had depressed, you know, this rejection again. And I 
found that someone had went in the snack bowl that was that designated just for me. And I went, I had a meltdown. I had a meltdown. I started crying and yelling and they were like, Kim, you know, it's okay. It's okay. But my thing was as the therapist brought out was the justice is that no one, that someone took that control from me and went into my snack bowl that was designated for me and me only and took something out. And it start and um, like she had brought out to let me know the root of it was from that rejection and that abandonment that I had no control of it. So now I want justice because no one asked me, no one, you, you, you get what I'm saying? So it oh, was hundred percent, hundred percent. It was, it was, I, now I recall that one meltdown and they, they had no idea they were trying to, you know, you know, you know, let me know it was okay. And, and stuff like that. But I, I do, I do know that I try to suppress. And that's what I did because of the fact that no one talked to me or no one really initiated that I had a voice and that I I could say how I feel. That's why I'm a very strong advocate to parents telling, you know, their children and asking them how you feel and let them know that emotions are real and it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. I suppressed my voice. I would not pretty much talk. And I got into the little depression in eight or nine that music was my, was my outlet, the radio and, and, and in my room, but it was a form of depression of aiding, you know, that. And then I was misdiagnosed because of that silence and that suppressing my voice that I couldn't remember. My memory was strained because of all the traumatic experiences that I went through here. My dad is going on with his life and he remarries, starts having another family. David, he's coming in and out my my mother house. Here I'm 10 and 11 and talking to his sister pretty much Updating her on updating her on his life and his kids that he's having that I'm I'm literally confused and wondering does he even know that I'm his child because the way he's addressing me and the way I'm seeing him he's just like I didn't gave you to my sister now that's your mother that's your father I have nothing to do with you. And it was hurtful. It was like you said, the roller coaster storm. Like this was like hitting from all degrees. My 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 biological mother. Now my biological father. What in the hell am I? What is the purpose of me being here? Pretty much. Yeah, and 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 and, 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 and at the same time, here you got these adoptive family pouring all their love and attention, trying to do whatever they know the best to do, how they were raised in their era to give me the stability and the love that they feel that a child needs. Yeah. And that's just so hard. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. This episode's about you, but your father and mother's background, how they live and parent affects you. 
what was your dad's background? Did he come from a broken home, five siblings, 20 siblings, one sibling, no sibling? What was his background like? He had a lot of siblings. Like I said, this, the sister that raised me was the oldest of them. I do know he had a lot of siblings and I'm not sure that I don't believe that his father was was in the household with with his with his his mother. And then what about your mother? What do you know about her background? I do know that her mother and father was together and, and she had a lot of siblings too. But she had a traditional home, father, mother in the yes. house. Mm-hmm. Very now, strict. I don't want to jump ahead in your story, but I have questions about your mother. So continue your story and I may backtrack to right. ask them in the, in the future, if it doesn't come up. So please continue. Oh, okay. So like I said, in the elementary years, I had to battle with the, the bullying, with the, the misdiagnosis that I went through the testing in the elementary first kindergarten to first grade. And they had diagnosed me mild retardation. So I was in resource. Yes. And we have Mm -hmm. listeners all over the world. Again, I didn't mean to just cut you off, but we have Uh listeners all over the world. So what Kimberly's talking about is in the American public school system, you know, I'm not going to get into that. There's serious (laughs) problems with the American public school system, but they give you tests when you go to school, they'd classify you and you, there was different programs and they were called different things. Right. But Kimberly was suffering from trauma, trauma, what trauma. a lot of people call today is PTSD. There's all yes. different terms for it. Go yes. back to world war one. They called it shell shock. Yes. <laughs> but it's not just for soldiers and what Kimberly was dealing with. She experienced memory loss, which is very common. That doesn't mean you're not intelligent. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you other than the trauma has disconnected parts of your brain. Well, so and that's, and the- yeah, and the memory loss was what that what in the the intellectual disability was I couldn't retain information. Like we would go through our numbers from one to 20. The next day I couldn't remember past 10. But I but like you said, the trauma, I could remember everything in details from <laughs> from five, that traumatic experience all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a real thing. And I personally did not believe this. I thought, no, no, there's, you know, this isn't true. And then I had major trauma in 2015 and I have a hearing issue where Mm -hmm. I have perfect hearing yet. I can just be sitting there and not hear people. My brain audible. It's, it's my story. I'm not going to go into it and take your time, but that's where my eyes were open. I had multiple doctors, multiple counselors, and then I get a hearing test she knows nothing about my background. And right. she's like, you have PTSD. I'm like, what? Why did you say that? And she's right. like, your hearing is impeccable, but your brain isn't picking it up. And right. I'm like, okay, I submit, God, what are you trying to teach me? Right. So you had that at a child's age. People didn't understand it back then. No. So what was that like going through school? Did they make you feel like you were stupid or how? Yeah, yeah. It, because like you said, in that era, in the seventies, now that they have really went a milestone with the special ed and and now not ha- making those classes in- inclusive and you know separating everything back then resource room was resource and that's exactly what they called them the children knew that i was going in that room every day and not joining them 
to un, unless it was during the specials, the gym and, and recess. So in recess, lots of times I would get bullied. And it took David for about three years with that same resource teacher that I found my voice in some type of way and just said to her, I don't want to go out to recess. I want to help you. And then she was like, Kim, why? And I would say, because, you know, they tease me, they pick on me. You know, they called me the little, you know, retarded girl, but I don't think I even told them, told her what they said. I just said they were teasing me, you know, and she said, well, you can be my helper. And I remember that, that resource teacher and I even gave her, you know, I, I ran into her about three or four years ago and she remembered my face, but, you know, to all the educators there, that was one woman and she wasn't the same culture as my, my parents or m- myself, but she saw something in me and she said to me, she said, you're a special child. She said, I don't care if I have to work with you every year, I'm not going to let you go. And that's, and you know, I found trust in her, which this was one of the people besides my adopted dad that I found would fight for me and that I could trust. And uh, so that's what she did. She stayed with me up and for throughout my whole elementary school years. And then I remember praying in sixth grade and I said, because my adopted dad would always be praying to God and he would always, you know, try to feed me besides going to church with them, the spiritual background. He would talk to me about love constantly. He would say to me, Kimmy, no matter what you love, no matter what, God loves you. So do daddy Bill. So do little mom, but God loves you more. Always love, you know, and because God is love. And so he would always make sure that I knew about love and instill that in me and some scriptures and some hymns. And I remember him praying in the middle of the night, sometimes during the daytime. And I said, gosh, I said, he is always praying. Maybe this prayer might work for me. So I remember in sixth grade, I just said a little childlike prayer. I never wanted anyone to ever feel sorry for me, even though I just, I, I felt like I didn't have a voice set. I just wanted someone to hear me. I wanted someone to know how I felt. But I never wanted anyone to feel sorry for me. Like my resource um, teacher, when I told her um, about what I was going through, I didn't want her to feel, I just want her to solve the problem. <laughs> I didn't want her to feel sorry for me. I just want her to not let me have to go out to resource, recess and continue to deal with that. But I said to God in this childlike prayer in sixth grade that I just didn't want to be different. I knew that they knew that I was different. I said, I want to learn. I want to be like the other kids. So touch me. Like I hear my dad tell, tell you know, talking to you. And it was a miraculous. I, 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 I can only explain it like that because from sixth grade to seventh grade testing, you would not know that I was in resource. Seventh and eighth grade, I was on honor roll every term. You would have to go back to my elementary school years and say, this is, this is, this is amazing. This is not the same child on paperwork because on paperwork, 
statistics said that I that that mild retardation that I would never read or write effectively. And pretty much my first doctor's appointment that they took me to that I had that, that pediatrician all the way up until I was like 14 or 15 that I would be subject to abuse my own child because of what predict how they they categorized me they labeled me and and back then I don't know yeah. if you picked up on it they had to I almost said a bad word again. That's twice in this episode. I need to get right with God. No, it really gets me mad that when you and I were growing up at during that age, yeah. doctors were recommending sterilization of children. I mean, that's just pure evil, but they were classifying me and you as oh, fit mother, not fit mother. Right. Sterilized. Right. And that's just evil. Right. 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 So my question was, do you remember that? Did he say that to you or was that not a known issue? No, no. Okay. No. Okay, I just want but to know because that, that's that's traumatic alone. That one thing. Yeah, but it was clear that on paper that what I had been through, I was more subject to give away one of my children or abuse one of my children. Yeah, because like you said back then, that's how they diagnosed and categorized you. From yeah, and your- there's some there's some statistical truth with numbers, hundred percent. There's learned Mm -hmm. behavior. There's biblical truth with generational sins, right? But it's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent. Especially you have a family that's not, it's not, it's not for, it's not like everyone. (laughs) It's not like everyone do. Exactly. Exactly. If you have a loving family and and a resource teacher, someone in your life intervening, that's what God uses to change your future and destiny. Yes. So, okay. So now you have this miraculous, literally miraculous. I have this miraculous. And then where does life go there from there for Kimberly? From seventh to eighth grade. It was, it was one of the best um, highlights. I started feeling like I was part of a family feeling, feeling like the, the trust definitely was being built with uh, my, my, my mother and father that was raising me. I was still never getting any gifts or calls from my biological mother or father to, to assist there. I just want to put that out there that they were still part of my life. No, never. Yeah. So eighth grade around 12, around 12 going on 13, there was an uncle that was part of my adopted mother and my my biological father's life they were he was considered pretty much one of the other kids as their brother that was was raised with them so this was this man was introduced to me as an uh, as an uncle and he came in our life now this man had a history of doing prison time for molesting an infant, but he came into our life with my adopted mother as, you know, him, her being the sister, the oldest sister of all of them. And he, I remember him coming, going to church with us and she was saying, oh, and you know what, Kim, this uncle, he's, his birthday's the same day as yours. He's a fool over you. He loves himself some Kim. And 
he was very nice. I took me to the store, would always get me candy and, you know, whatever I wanted and, you know, capital, you know, really capitalized on that part that my mom, you know, was saying that our birthday is the same day. So we, he started going to church with us, you know, meeting us at, the, at our house on Sunday morning, going to church. So one particular Sunday, he went to the altar and renewed himself. Not, not long after that Sunday had happened that he renewed himself and got saved and joined that church, he was able to move in with us. And I remember my mom having a conversation with my dad about it. And my dad, you know, gave her the okay. And, and I know they were talking about, because this was in the scripture that we were taught that once someone asks God to forgive them for their sins, they're a new creature, all sins are passed away. They're, you know, they're just, God gives you a clean slate. It wasn't a good two months that he was there living with us, that he started molesting me, fondling me. And so it tore my, I guess, progress. <laughs> no, that's an excellent word. You literally were so making tore, progress. You're finally yes, finding tore freedom. The progress down, just uh, back to, is this really happening? to me what purpose you know and it really it really confused me because here i'm at an age i i didn't even have uh, I, I was i that wasn't even i didn't get my menstrual cycle until after he left but i'm i'm still at an age where some things that he was doing was confusing me that it felt good but yet you're telling me why you're doing this that you love me and this is, you know, David, all I've all readily wanted was somebody just to love me and show it. So I'm confused is, is this, this is not right, but it isn't right, <laughs> you know? And so that happened close to a year. So he was, he was telling you, I love you and oh, you're wonderful. He was like totally yes, messing with you're you. You're my baby. It's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. So when this all happened, mm -hmm. how, how did it finally stop? Or did he get it caught? Finally, it, yeah. He, he finally found a, as my, my adopted mom said, a worldly woman <laughs> that took him out of church. But that was my ticket. And, and ironically, when he left, I was depressed i was so sad it took me months to get myself together and they didn't even know it because the attention was gone yeah and you were miswired not through yes. fault of your own but yes that yeah. kind of abuse yes completely rewires yes. a human not even yes. a child or an adult i mean yes. when you give yourself to someone sexually yes. as an adult you're yes. joining together and there's yes. a bond made for eternity so right. when you're a child being raped and you were neglected as a child, so now you're like, oh, this is attention. I mean, there's so many wires being crossed. Right, right. Now, did you ever talk with someone about the molestation and, or did he go off and just 
you know, not that it would be your fault, but did he go off and continue to molest other people? Did you, were you able to talk about it and he get arrested? Where did that story go? No, I'm not sure. I just know the story about the, 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 the infant, the baby long time ago, but I know that I never told my adopted mom until my father had my adopted dad had passed away. I was grown and married to my second husband. When I finally told her I was start, I started having nightmares. I started, I just, the, 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 besides the kissing in the mouth and the funneling and the breast, I started having um, difficulties with the second husband of mine with, it was like a trigger. And I started dreaming and this is what made me open. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna have to tell her. I didn't get to tell my doctor dad because, you know, I felt the guilt. I didn't, you know, I, I, and I didn't want him to have to deal with anything else. My adopted dad, you know, feeling that burden of not being able to uh, have protected me. It happened. The, this was right underneath their roof of why they were going to bed. And he was so manipulating about it by saying to them, oh, it's a movie I want to show Kim and I'm going to teach her about, you know, what's the the theme of the movie or it was either like a family movie or a Christian movie or whatever. And I'll, I'll make sure she goes to bed right after it and just let her stay up. It wasn't every night, but probably two or three nights out of the week that would happen. And, you know, I didn't want to put that burden on my, my father. So like I said, after he passed away and when I started having those triggers and that the little anxiety and, and nightmares and stuff. I first told my husband at that time. And then I told my um, adopted mom. Yeah. And okay. So we have a gap between when this happened and we moved out and you know, when you started dealing with it, cause that's what happens. A lot of people suppress it. Some people, it blacks out of their mind. They don't remember right. what happened. And most people there's shame. Yeah. And there's guilt and it's not even shame and guilt you need to bear i mean you were a child and this guy totally manipulated you right so let's continue with that story and we'll go back but before oh man there's so much to your story to unpack i actually want to i don't know i feel led to do this now and then we're going to continue but there's probably people who are emotionally connecting with you right now and they're ready to check out and shut off the episode because it's just too much. Right. For the little girl who's been molested, mm-hmm. for the little boy who's been molested, for the child who's been completely rejected, neglected, like you, abused. Before we go on any further, what message do you have for them to it's give them hope? Perfect. And like, Where's the step? Where do they start the healing? And then we're going to get to the adult child, like where you were married already, you know, but for right now, if there's children listening or teenagers listening, and they've had this horrific experiences, some of these, all of them, one of them, where do you suggest they start the healing? Accepting it. It did happen. It did happen. And you're not responsible. It's not your fault except um, it wasn't a dream. It was reality and it did happen. And it's okay to know that it's sad. It hurt. It was wrong. Not right. Shouldn't have happened. 
not your fault, nothing that you could have done to change it, but you can be better if you would just accept and embrace God has so much more for you. And to share, to speak openly, you have a right of how you felt. You're angry, it's okay to be angry. But don't let that anger define you. Now let's talk about accepting because accepting is one of those loaded words right. in Christian circles, accept right. and forgive. Uh-huh. Those are words that like, for instance, this is perfect in your story. Mm-hmm. I've had discussions multiple times with people who say you need to forgive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have forgiven, mm-hmm. but I'm not a fool. Right. There's consequences for people's sins. Right. And I'd be negligent, like exactly what happened to you. And I'm not saying your stepmom and dad were negligent on purpose. They had a good heart. Mm-hmm. But listen, man, the dude's a molester. He's a right. child molester. Right. Great. Help him out. Don't put him in your house with your kid. Right. Right. And that's the difference. And if someone was truly repentant, I mm-hmm. believe they'd be the first to say, I don't belong with a child. Or if right. you're an alcoholic, I don't belong working at a restaurant where I have access right. to alcohol. Right. So I got to pull it together because I want to punch the fight. I'm like, and so I get angry about this stuff because children are so innocent and pure. And then you have these idiot adults who are mm-hmm. like, oh, forgive. It's all mm-hmm. forgotten. It's under the blood. Mm-hmm. It is. But right. even the Lord has consequences that we need to deal with. Right. So these boundaries that need to be put in place, you're again, you're talking to children who've been harshly and horribly abused. Mm-hmm. When someone says, oh, just forgive and move on or just accept it and move on. That's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Give us a couple steps to start accepting it in a biblical, healthy way. I would say the starting steps and and accepting in a healthy way is to protect yourself physically and mentally. Change, like you said before, I had to accept, first of all, my whole journey, my whole story that this actually happened. I never really viewed my story that has happened so sad until I wrote it down, until I started really talking about this and understanding that I had carried the weight of people's actions and behavior so long and felt responsible for it that I lost myself. And that I have accepted that my journey hasn't been a fairy tale and still hasn't ended up as a fairy tale, but I'm only responsible for what I do. And how I live my life, how I choose to live my life. And I choose to live my life knowing the difference from love and what isn't love and that I have to 
fight for myself and not to feel that there is someone out there that will fight for me. Because if I couldn't find the love for myself to fight for myself, then I, I, every, every other places that I looked, you know, failed me because I didn't get that. So even down to children or parents that's hearing this, that has had similar stories of this rejection and abandonment and child molestation, when you want change, you'll react to those changes and choose that best life for you, but also find that fight within yourself, for yourself, through writing it, words, speaking it, sharing it, getting a mental health provider, but fight for you. And only you can do it. Only you can choose that and make those changes, you know? Yeah, no, that's excellent. And then let's pick up now. So you're molested. The scumbag moves out. Pick up your story for there, from there. So... I believe that. And sorry if that sounded insensitive. No, I, no, no, no. That's okay. I just, that's just such a horrible, horrible thing to me. I, I believe that depression had went into, as you were saying, my first experience of sexuality was so confused and also a silent cry that I now I, I didn't have my oldest sister. I'm the only child in their home. It's a strict home. I did have a couple of neighborhood friends, but at even doing the confusing of this sexuality, I couldn't share with them. I could just only outwardly react to how I was feeling. Now, and uh, at, this, at this point in your life, mm-hmm. you're a teenager. Yes. Yes. Did you feel like dirty? Did you not that you are, but I'm saying, did you feel deceived? Did you feel dirty? Did you feel unworthy? And then did you find yourself drawn to be more promiscuous or drawn to be more? I don't want to be with a guy where, where did you fall? Cause when kids are abused, they usually fall on one extreme or the other. It was, I, I had it all because I, I didn't, I didn't know. And I, and, and I'm in the household without any other kids. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm drawn to a sexuality that felt good, whether it was with a female or male, but I didn't know, you know, how to express it or even to talk about it. You know, I just know that And I want to backtrack because he never penetrated me. He scared the crap out of me when he showed me himself. But that every time that that would happen, when it would get close to that, to the penetration, I would run. But everything else from following from every area in my and on my body that happened. But I think 
even with that was even a trigger because this is the first time I've ever seen a man, you know, erect and I'm that young and it scared me, you know? So getting, I'm almost 15 now and I'm starting to get attention, you know, from, you know, you know, boys around and everything like that. And I remember seeing this guy that was coming back and forth in our area driving, of course, that was cool. You know, you see somebody driving and uh, I was with a neighborhood friend and she's still one of my childhood friends now. And she was saying, uh-uh, they're bad news. Da, 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 da. Anyway, make a long story short, he ended up lying about his age, but he was older and I started skipping school. I was doing well in high school. But again, that foundation of the sexuality was still hadn't been healed, hadn't been dealt with, hadn't been exposed, hadn't been treated. So I'm now, I'm, I'm now looking at, I'm now looking at a, a, these teenage feelings in a different lens of very confused and not knowing what I was. So I was probably a little flirtatious I probably was, but even so, I could remember being scared to be vocal. And I was skipping school. And I remember, I mean, several times, I can't even say a couple of times that he would get me cornered. And we were about to go all the way. And I would say either my cycles get ready to come on or my stomach's hurting or whatever. And it wouldn't happen. So this this went on for several times till eventually, and now mind you, I'm not talking to my adoptive family because they're strict. They're about, you know, church. They even had little names that you called your, your body parts that was in their era. And my kid and my, my childhood friends was telling me the right names <laughs> you know they were like that's not and and here you know my adopted mom was saying if you get pregnant by you know you can get pregnant by swallowing the black watermelon seed and and, and you know the intercourse if, if a guy does something to you put you know his part in you it'll bust you right open and you'll have you'll feel like bumblebees this thing i mean all these kind of myths you know so this is what i grew up in but still i i'm I, you can't take that sensuality you're getting to be a teenager away that that's just normal so i remember this particular day i was all excused out and I didn't want to, I was at his uncle's house, I had to skip school again. And that was how my virginity was taken. And he was out of school, found out he was, I was 15, he was 16, 19 or 20. So the first time I have sex and he breaks my virginity, I get pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So now you're in a home that's now I'm in a home. ultra conservative, <laughs> your teenage pregnancy, where does it go from there? Woo, that it went to another storm. <laughs> so <laughs> we can laugh now, but I'm sure you weren't laughing. Right? Whoa, Lord, that went to another storm. And because they were so active in their church that the, either the, pa the pastor was my, ended up being my papa. 
we had a meeting. We had to go over. I remember my adopted mom taking me over there to their house, to their parsonage, and letting him know that I had I had got pregnant, which was was very humiliating. But once again, my mind, all this is happening, and it's just as you were saying, these wires is just going like, what in the world? <laughs> you know. And now I'm, I'm I, I, y'all's image is more important to me, more important than me because I, I wouldn't be at this man's house, you know. And I, and I'm, I'm just, I remember even looking so sad because she's like, she initiated a conversation. She says, "Well, Kim's got something to tell you," and I'm just like, "Oh my God," you know. <laughs> and I, you know, just had to come out. And so here. And that that in the seventies, you know, born in the seventies, it wasn't you. It wasn't like it is now. You you're going to school pregnant, so it was already humiliating that I'm the oddball. People knowing that I got pregnant, and I had to go to school. Finally, I it got to my I, I was ha- back in communication with my oldest sister because we're still in our hometown. Where I got adopted at and raised was still in my hometown where my biological mother and, and father could come and see me or see about me 15, 20 minutes tops. So all this is still in my hometown. So my in the high school years, in ju- junior high school, I, I got back connected with my siblings, especially my oldest sister. So telling my oldest sister, I know that hurt her that I got pregnant, you know, at 15. And I remember when I went to the doctor right after I had did cross country track and I was very, you know, very tiny, you know, very small built. And my mom saying to the doctor, you, 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 you can't be telling me that she's pregnant. I'm, I'm still giving her baths negative pregnant where? And I was like 22, 22, 22 weeks or something like that. Like I was, I was really, 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 really pregnant (laughs) by the time I found out I had fainted and I went to the nurse. And so she told me that she was going to tell, you know, tell my dad that, you know, my adopted dad here, this is my hero. This is the one that, you know, started this foundation about God and everything. So I remember her telling me that I would have to tell my, my, the pastor, my papa at that time, but she would come home. She would go and tell my dad, she said, and you know, he's going to be upset, but I'll tell him. So I knew when she told him, David, that whole, the remainder of those months, I don't think he knew what to say. It was, he never said anything. He was just so solid. So I could feel the hurt. But at this time, my body's changing, my mind is changing. I didn't. I felt like I lost my dad. I felt like I done lost another person in my life that I had built trust. He said nothing through the whole time, the range of time that I was pregnant. Now you're so, saying he said nothing about the pregnancy or nothing, nothing about the pregnancy, at all. Nothing about nothing to me. Oh wow! It's not even like, hey, how are you today? It was just silence. He didn't know silence. what to do. And then now, let me ask you another question too. That's incredibly hurtful. And I'm going to let you continue the story. But when you say Papa, that's a cultural thing. Was that like a godfather or was he physically related? Yeah, it it was like their pastor for years. It was like a godfather. 
like a, a relationship that they have formed, they had formed before they adopted me at this church and he ended up being my pop up yeah gotcha yeah. so there wasn't just for listeners i just want to make sure we're yes. clear in yeah. a, in america there's different terms i'm sure in every country there's different terms but what kimberly's talking about is the relationship between the families is so close that it wasn't just the pastor they were like family even though they yes. weren't to the yeah. point she called them papa and which in america is like grandpa yeah so or, or papa can be dad too a loving but right. yeah so right. anyways, i just want to clarify that because i was a little confused was this guy blood or was he a godfather so now i got you we're on the same page so now you're pregnant mm-hmm. you're tiny with this baby inside of you right which is a blessing but not under those circumstances is ideal mm-hmm. you're daddy isn't talking to you because he doesn't know how to deal with it what's it like with your mom at this point hands on she 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 uh, she said to me which i had to go to my therapist about because that made me go and make some choices and decisions that i did throughout my life is she said even if i was 12 years old 13 years old because i made that choice that I was going to have this baby. They did not believe in abortions and that she knows that females do, but that's on them that they have to answer to God about, but regardless of the situation and how it happened, that I was going to have this baby and that I was a woman now. So she literally said to me, David, that now I know, you know, your birthday's coming up, which you'll be 16 years old. You don't get any more birthdays. No birthday celebrations goes to you. It goes to the baby now. You're a woman now. That changed my thought. That changed my mind. It's just, I, from then on, when she met, she had that, she made that declaration. She phrased and said those words. I chose from that day on to do the best I could to be a woman, as she said, to fit the woman's shoes. Yeah. And that's, I'm sure she didn't want to say it either, but she was trying to give you tough love and to slap into reality. Like, Hey, you're bringing a human into this world. You need to be there. That was her intent. Correct. I know. Yeah. It's it's tough. That's tough to hear. Yeah. Okay. So now, before we get into your pregnancy and having your baby, I want to go back for a second. And this may come up in the future. So you can say, I'll talk, I'll get there. Were you, you the, your biological mother, were you actually her child? Is that why she rejected you? Were you not her child? Or she, she just, I just, for whatever reason, didn't connect with you. I was her child. Okay, so you were legitimately her biological child, but was there a reason that she ever discussed with you why she rejected you? She never gave, she's never gave me a reason. Okay. I asked her, she's never gave me a reason. I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry. I've heard, I've heard stories. I've heard from other people and from my dad and from my adopted mom that they were really heavy in church. And the Holy Spirit told her that I was supposed to have been a boy. Now, mind you, she already had the the feet, the 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 girl, the my my oldest sister, that this one was supposed to be a boy, and she was so distraught that she missed the Holy Spirit, I guess, word 
and just disconnected her. Now that's the story that I got. And I got that story repeatedly that she felt really ashamed and could not take that she missed the Holy Spirit sign and word that I, the second child that was being bought in the world by her and my father wasn't the boy was, was a girl. Yeah. And that's so sad. Cause that's just such a lie and absolute confusion. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's horrible to hear that. And again, it just breaks my heart. So, all right, we'll move past that then. Cause that's mm-hmm. her own issue. She's going to deal with. And hopefully before she passes, you can get the truth. I mean, hopefully she can have healing and you can have healing. You can have healing together, but let's pick up mm-hmm. your turn 16. You're pregnant. Where does Kimberly's life go from there? I, I want to share how, though, your mental, how tragedy can mentally shut you you down. So I remember being the youngest one at that hospital, having a child. She was born July 31st. I turned 16, August 13th. And I couldn't cry once again. And the doctors could see the pain on my face. Of course, I had her natural and I I could feel just like anybody else, any other mother, you know, the pain, the contractions and stuff like that. I just couldn't cry. And I, I went through so much mentally carrying her and my body changing and the mind and what I now was told that I I am when the doctors put her in my arm that's I remember the doctors you know the first two doctors that I had from my children I remember them their names and I remember him saying to me when he put her in my arms was you can cry it's okay you can cry and I just I I I I felt free to to do it but yeah, I wanted to share that because I, I don't think people realize that that healing and that mental status can go so far deep rooted that you, you know, you're not even aware until you can go back and accept those things that you went through that you're very traumatized. And this is why your body reacted the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because that is huge, not just mentally and emotionally, but even on the lowest level physically, Yeah, you got to cry. It's there's happy tears, there's pain tears, but it's, it's a necessity for humans. Yeah. And if you're not crying, it's not that, Oh, look how tough you are. It's something, something's Something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this now and you're like, I haven't cried in eight years, I haven't cried in 20 years, I haven't cried in a year. Right. There's seriously something wrong with you. It is. I say that in the, I say that in a loving way. Right. Um, because I've been there. Kimberly's mm-hmm. been there mm-hmm. and it's not a healthy place. So it's you're not, not having it's a not full, a healthy place. Yeah. You're right. not enjoying a full life like God intended if you're not crying. And I'm not saying be the drama queen or king right. either. Right. I'm saying a normal, healthy, balanced life. Yes. So your daughter puts the baby in your arms. You said yes. it's a little girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. What was her? Oh, you don't have to say her name. I don't know if you want Courtney. to. Laugh. Courtney. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm like, I don't want to say it. Wait a second. Yeah. So you have Courtney in your arms. Continue. So 
I go home that, you know, my mom is um, <laughs> full throttle. <laughs> she, she thinks that, you know, she, you know, she's like, you know, new mom and I'm going to, you know, and hands on and, you know, I'm like, I got this. I, I, you just, just tell me once I, I, I know what to do. I know what to do. So I, you know, got into the swing of things and went back to school and once again, in the back of my mind is doing what um, a woman could do. I felt um, very nonchalant about being a teenager that I, I'm fully grown. I have a child and I got to do what's best for her. So the, the father was in her life throughout me, you know, being pregnant, you know, and after I had the baby, matter of fact, he was there when I had the baby. And I started, you know, continuing to have sex with them. And I remember just like it was yesterday, I, I started not even caring. So why should I? I'm a woman, you know what I mean? Who, who's who's going to care about, you know, this is, this is how I just pretty much made my life. And this is what, as she would pretty much say, in our is is in our term and in, in our household was when you make your bed hard you lay in it <laughs> so so i was laying in it and good at doing whatever i wanted to so after she was born that relationship started being physical i remember jumping out the car from times he wanted to hit me running back and forth out of his, either his uh, cousin's house or his mom's house because he, he wanted to put his hands on me and I'm feeling like I'm in love. So wherever he goes, I want to be right underneath him to. And part of you thinking this is normal because that's how you grew up. You, yes. you watched it. You watched yes. your dad hit your mom, which is completely yeah. unacceptable. Yes. It's also unacceptable for a mom to hit a dad. Let's just throw that in there because yes. I've seen abuse go both ways. But the thing is, you're thinking this is partially normal, even though you know it's wrong. So right. when did it click? Like, this is this has got to stop. It, it didn't then. It just continued until one day I said to my mom, I was in 11th grade and I said, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to quit school. And she said, okay. <laughs> so I did. And... I got a job and the abuse started getting worse and worse until I do remember saying. <sighs> now, were you living with him at this point or were you living with your parents still? I was, I was back and forth. Sometimes I, I ended up leaving and living with him and his mom and you know, we would start wanting to hit then and, or we would go to stay over a couple of nights with his cousin. So, and then I would, you know, go back home and, you know, my mom would be talking about, you know, stop running in and out, you know, stuff like that. You got to get yourself together. And um, I'm just trying to get you the uh, pattern of what had happened, you know, as far as the, the steps and, you know, in between. Yeah, we were back and forth. And I believe what really broke me to really get away is his his cheating. I remember saying to my mom, 
that I remember him having um, another girlfriend or expecting another baby at the time that I got pregnant again by him. And this was a, this was 10 days and in, in within two years of me having my second child by him. And I remember just as, that's like it was yesterday when she was saying, you, you, you were on pills, you didn't use that. And I, I was like, yeah, I was, I don't think I was taking them. Like I, 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 that conception came in. I didn't care. I really didn't care. I was very careless. I didn't care whether I got pregnant or not. I didn't care because I felt like who, who cared at this point? I'd have made a, I'd have made the hell of my life of having a child at 15 you know, prior to that, you know, stuff that that happened that I had never shared to my mom and dad, you know, so why? So and I, I'm guessing that the numbness you were experiencing in this area was in all areas of your life, correct? Just a complete numbness, not caring. No, not in all areas, but this this particular time it was. Wait, hold on. I want to make sure I don't want to speak for you. So at this particular point in your life, were mm -hmm. you numb to everything or just this one topic? I, I believe like to everything. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I was, yeah. uh, that's what I yeah. thought I was hearing, but I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth. Yeah. It, it's usually we're not isolated. We don't compartmentalize feelings like that. It's just like, you know, yeah. it's full hatred of ourselves, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. you know, I'm just shutting down. Yeah. And I said to her about the, because this is my first experience with, you know, a guy and, you know, cheating and everything. And she said, all men cheat. The only two men type of men that don't cheat is the ones that can't because of physical conditions and, 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 and men that's dead. There's the only two that don't. <laughs> oh man. It's more lies. You're just getting filled with lies the whole life. Right. Was just like wow so I think that kind of stemmed for me being with him a little bit longer than what I should because of this you know advice that I got and then I just completely got tired one of the women that he started dating she was out of this out of the out of the world this she was a match for him and so she felt I was a dread or whatever and and that really sealed the deal of me really getting away from him now by this time I'm pregnant by him with my second child, but we ended up not being together at the time of her birth. I ended up dating someone and he was in the military. And I said to my mom, when I was working, I don't think he knows that I'm pregnant because I was uh, sitting behind the desk. She said, well, before you go out with him, if he's asking you out, you need to tell him you got his number. And I was like, yeah, she said, well, next time you call him, don't have him surprised. And and she asked me, what did he say? And I said, I, he said he knew that I was pregnant and he just wanted to still be there for me. So anyway, we started conversating and I was telling my mom, you know, about this man and, you know, what he, and he was a very good person, but she was in that era where if he came, he had a military background and he was in the military and then he accepted me with two children. This is the man that I should marry, regardless whether I'm old enough to marry or not. I, this is one that should, should be in my life to take care of me. So they signed for me to get married to this man before I was 19. Well, 18. Yeah, I was just you were turning. In, 
Maryland or Delaware? Where were you living? Maryland. Maryland. Okay. So you got parental consent. They were your legal guardians mm -hmm. and you got married before 18. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That didn't last a year, but like I said, he was a very good person. And I remember doing one of those incidents that my ex, which was my, my two girls father, we, we never had any kids together, but my two girls father, the girlfriend at that time was still bothering me or whatever. And he, I mean, he stood up for me. And I remember that feeling of such gratitude because I always yearned that. Now I yearned it from my biological mother and my biological father. But when you get it, it's like, it's overwhelming <laughs> to someone that, you know, that missed it and yearned for it. So, yeah, um, I had somebody, I had somebody describe when we're lacking something in our life, it's sort of like if you took a match and threw it on the green grass, mm -hmm. the match is just going to go out. Mm -hmm. But when that grass is dry and starving mm -hmm. for water, right, it's really it hay. And it's right. as soon as you put a match on it, oof, right. the yeah. whole field goes up in flames. So that was emotionally when he was like, use the term protecting you and standing by you and sticking up for you when he was doing that, that just yes. set you on fire all again. Set, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like I said, it didn't last um, a whole year and not that he wasn't a good person. We, we both wasn't ready. I, I, I wasn't ready for marriage. He wasn't ready for marriage, but Again, you know, my parents seen differently. So we got a divorce. I got a place where, you know, my two girls and continued on with my life, dating, seeing other men. And I end up repeating cycles of seeing older men. And I really believe what I was looking for was that validation and that trust that I had in my, my father. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't want to be crude, but they call it daddy issues. Like yes. girls who look for yeah. older men and they yeah. don't even realize they're doing it. They really right. want somebody to support them and take care of them and love them. Right, right. And men actually, there's a lot of scumbag men who pray and they pray look for that. that. They, right. Yes, right. they abuse right. girls who are needy right. and not needy in a bad way, but they, right. they want that love and they yeah. see it and they exploit it. And exploit, exactly. So I did um, date one that was older than me and then that ended for, and then I felt that I had made such a mess in my hometown. Here, my biological mother um, still staying there and my siblings and I ran, I, I, I went to Baltimore. I contacted a childhood friend that was going to college in Baltimore and asked, could I, you know, come stay with her? And mind you, I had my own place too, but I said to my mother, my adopted mom and my dad at the time, just keep my girls for a month, not even a month, just, I'm going to get a place. I, I got to go. I got to move. And, and, and they agreed. And they didn't say any questions, you know, they agreed and I went to Baltimore, but I do know I ran. 
so that everybody else could have a life. I didn't want to deal with any issues. I didn't want to deal with running into my biological mom and still yearning for her acceptance and, and, and wanting a relationship with me. I didn't want to run into any of my siblings. And they, wasn't, they were missing in action half of my life when I had all these kids, you know. So I just, I, I just said, I got to get out of here. I, I just got to go. So I met my um, second husband in Baltimore, and he was 11 years older than me. And I'll never forget introducing him to my, my mom, my adopted mom, and letting her know that he was, you know, how his age and everything, and that he didn't have any kids. And that was like uh, bells to her ears because she's like, and he's going to accept you with two kids. Oh, you, you, that's who you have to marry. That's, that's who, that's who will take care of you. And he's an older man too. Not too many men is going to, you know, take care of you and accept you with two kids that's not his own and so I remember saying to her okay you know I'm gonna get married he asked me to marry him and the day that I went to her house she had she had orchestrated the whole wedding she had got all the <laughs> bridesmaids dresses she never told my biological siblings my biological mom she she had who she wanted there and ironically she had my biological dad being the pastor being the preacher to marry us <laughs> and my adopted dad giving me away so that was it was so twisted but mentally I was just like whatever they want whatever I could feel like I'm doing the best decision or the best choice for everybody else to help hopefully turn my life around so it won't look so freaking bad yeah, you're like, let's just get through this and move yeah, to the next level. So I'm sitting down at her vanity and I remember putting jewelry on and everything. And I said, I don't know about this. I don't know. And I was getting, you know, one of those cold feet, but I'm looking at just like, I'm feeling a glimpse of my life of, of something's just not right. I shouldn't do this. And she said, all these people that I invited, she said, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to get married today. She said, and you'll learn to love them. If you don't love them, my mom always used to tell me, you don't marry the one that you love. You marry the one that loves you. And this is what I got. So I got married and he was a good provider, but he started the physical abuse. What, Like you said, he was older, 11 years older than me. He never seen me outside of 19 going on 20. Um, very controlling, very possessive. I was like a kid to him and he knew this. And so any type of independence that I would try to get, like when I went, went back to school, it, it was a fight. It was, it always ended up physical. And mentally torn down, he would say a comment all the time. Is nobody going to love you like I love you? No one's going to accept you with these many kids. You know, so it would always tear my self-worth down because it was never built on a solid foundation. I had to, I had to <laughs> reinvest in myself and build my self-worth because this is, this is what happened. Yeah. And whether he realized or not, he was programming you. He was programming you. Nobody's going to love you. Nobody's going to accept yeah. you. And it was yeah. just control to keep you right. under his under, thumb. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, okay. So where does this go? This doesn't sound like it's going to end well. <laughs> so, so I, that, that, that 
that marriage was the longest marriage out of the four. And I stayed with him. And like I said, he was a good provider. We had very nice houses at one time. Every business that he went into franchised the business. I supported him. I was really a level-headed somebody in my in my 20s. Consumed my life with my kids. I didn't go to parties. I didn't go to clubs. It's just my my children was my world. And we and, and we had two children together. So I had the two and then me and him had two together. I started with the girl, his first daughter, and then our son. And, but like I said, the longer that I got into the relationship and the more I wanted independence, he would rule me back, as you said, programming and say, you know, you only can come up to this, up to my job on this day and this time. Don't come up here no other time or day. If I changed my hairstyle, it was a fight. If I dyed, if I dyed this, if I, you know, so it was just, he was around when my, unfortunately, my father passed away in 97. He was the one that woke me up and told me. And so we were in Baltimore. We, I was married and that loss really um, did another pivotal point in my life because that was my first experience as a, as a loss of someone that I built trust in, that I knew loved me without a doubt. And I remember when he was getting word all the way to Baltimore that he was putting his hands on me. I remember him sitting down, calling for both of us and um, sitting us down and saying to him, Manny, now I'm hearing that you're putting her hands on. I don't even do that. But if you got to put your hands on her, you can bring her back home. You don't have to put your hands on her, you know? So I remember, you know, once again, that, that light that you were saying, that match, <laughs> was like, I had someone fighting for me and I'm losing it. And I done lost it in, in 97. And it was, it was very hard. I went into a depression and that was not too long after our sexual intimacy started getting experiencing those challenges with my uncle and that that was after my dad's death yeah so now that kind of pillar of strength and you knew there was unconditional love and you had trust in a man really at that point that was the only man you've had that good relationship with now he's gone so now it opens up these wounds and the vulnerability yeah. So take us from there. What were you experiencing and how did you get through it? So, like I said, when I started having those nightmares and I told my husband at that time then about it, and then I told my adopted mom and the only thing she said, she, she only, she did only what she knew. She just said, oh my gracious, if your dad knew he would have killed him, but that was it. I was looking for more, but at least I told her, you know, so, and I just said to her, yeah, you're, 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 you're probably right. You know, <laughs> and uh, we, I think we went on to another conversation, but my anxiety and my impulsiveness with all that coming to a head just got worse. And here, I'm not in a healthy relationship. God is turning that around where, because of the type of man that I had married, 
he had lost the business, he had lost the franchise and we had lost everything and had to come back home to our hometown. I'm like in a very, I'm not in a good place. And this is when I started understanding that mentally something is, something's wrong. And as, as if I continue to go this way, I'm not going to live the best life that I can. But what I tried to do was, until I got into another marriage, was compensate my fear and my unhealthy living to my kids. Everything, everything that I tried to do, I tried to build that of, I never want my children to feel that I wasn't there, that I would abandon them, that they would feel what I had felt. So I overcompensated my life and just dwelt into the ministry and being there for my kids. If that sounds, if, if you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. You were finding something you could control, pouring your life yes. into it and yes. ignoring the things that hurt. Yes. So then what continue with that? You come home and it's not like you're the victor. You're at a low in life. So there's, again, the humiliation, the shame, not that it's deserving, but that's probably what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And you come home, bringing back even more memories. So what happens to you from there, Kimberly? So I answered a call into the ministry. And like you said, that was where I felt safe. I felt there was a purpose. No now talk about how, that. Like you just kind of jumped into that thought. What are you talking about? You accepted the ministry. What ministry? The, the call to, to minister, to, to preach the gospel. Uh, I, I, yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's back up to make sure the listeners are understanding. So mm -hmm. your life is in shambles and you're going to church Mm -hmm. And you hear, you feel led that God's telling you to devote your life to ministry, telling people about his love. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Okay. I just want to uh -huh. okay. connect that, connect that bridge. Yes, perfectly. Yes. We have yes, listeners yes. From and I've plus. always felt that calling, but never to that strongly until then. And that's when I accepted. And I, and it ended up going to Papa. I ended up going to him. And uh, and actually letting him know what I'm what I'm experiencing and what I what do I do now, and he led me to this the first step that when you're called, no matter if you're in a pulpit or not, you're called. You 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 just have to answer to it. And he's I remember him saying, "Now, Kim, you don't you can't wear your heart on your sleeves." But of course, I did. But I ended up doing my trial sermon right under the pastor. And I invited, you know, my adopted mom was there. My, I called for my birth mom to be there. She, she was there. So I, as you said, you know, I drove into that. I, I, I put my all and, and my children. Now it did not stop what was going on in my relationship, my personal relationship, if anything, it brought it to a head.
because we wasn't on the same page. And this is not a person that I needed to be in my life. And so things started getting worse and our marriage ended. And I remember having to come out of the conference because of, I wanted support with having a divorce and also support from leadership after a while. Now, my papa, had, he had passed away and we have other leaders now coming in the church. But I went to one particular one to ask for support, to tell him, to talk to, you know, my husband about putting his hands on me. And he did everything else, but give me the support. One thing he, he's, he questioned, was I doing what I was supposed to be doing at home to avoid this? Was I giving him sex? Like that oh, was man. a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. That's yeah. no, that's no bueno. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up coming out of the conference because I seen the support wasn't going to be taken and what wasn't going to be given. And then what put it to a head, I was, I was pretty much told after pastoring a church that if I did come out and get a divorce, that I would be looked at differently, not the same with a husband and that people would not take me seriously. I would have to dress like a school mom or whatever that meant. But pretty much if I wanted to continue to be in that conference and to have an a standing, upstanding title or whatever, be looked at or be, you know, accepted, I would have to stay in a marriage and, 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 you know, work it out. Yeah. So what happens at that point? Like, where do you go from there? I I, I didn't, I chose to, to, to ask for honorable discharge and come out, come out the conference. And so therefore I came out the conference and I wasn't, you know, still a minister, but not being able to probably, you know, preach in their pulpit or in their, in their conference. Yeah. And a lot of people do like a lot of, there's so many churches. When you say the word church, it has a different emotional charge to everybody. Some people it's positive. Some people it's negative. Everybody has a different experience with what type of church, what background, and a lot of churches. And, you know, if someone gets divorced, they don't feel as though that person should be in ministry anymore. And that's, we, we don't have to discuss that because everybody has their own opinion on it. But I believe the Bible, I believe you follow what the Bible says, and that's the standard to me. So now you're how old at this point? I'm in my twenties. Okay. So you're still in your twenties, probably late twenties. Uh-huh. Okay. So where does your life go from there? Let's catch you up to today. So then I get married again to someone in the ministry that was total, oh Lord, that didn't even last four months, but it was because I felt that let me do something different this time. Let me hope, you know, basically marry someone that's connected with God like I am. And it was terrible. It was like he was a wolf and she clothing. <laughs> and so that was. And did you guys have any kids together? No, we didn't have any kids together. And the 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 hurt, the 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 distress that I went through in that marriage that was more emotional and mental than physical. So I could speak on both parts that 
they're one's just as bad as the other. <laughs> yeah, it, they are. They are. They're both equally bad. Now, at what point now you're in three marriages, you dated mm-hmm. a guy, had two mm-hmm. kids, you've been sexually abused, you're abandoned by your parents, essentially. At what point do you see I'm in a repeating pattern and this needs to stop? Then that marriage. That's when I went to um, a mental health provider and I was really broken. I was coming out of it and I said to her, basically what you were saying, I'm repeating and something's wrong. Something's wrong. What is something's wrong with me? Am I crazy? What I was saying to her, am I crazy? And so she brought out her pen and paper and she started, she said, let's go all the way from the beginning. And she told me from the beginning, when I, you know, shared with her in the beginning of what was going on, what had happened in my childhood and what took our relationship to another level and trust is she said exactly what you said and a couple of other people that I have shared my story that I, this was the first time I've ever heard someone say this. And she said, first, let me stop and apologize to you. I'm sorry that you had to go through that as a child and be, take that choice away from you and not be raised with your mother and father like you wanted to. But this is the two people that you only knew that you started off with. Let me, let me say that. And I just broke. I broke because this is the first time I heard this. See, my, my, my resource teacher, she didn't know about the, she didn't even go, go into it. She's an educator. She didn't know how my parents got me. She just knew that they had me and I was theirs. Yeah. And back then, even today, so many people are, they have, I actually growing up when we did with your resource teacher, her not knowing and not addressing it was Mm -hmm. probably better and somebody yeah. coming in with a piece right. of, they have 1% of a hundred percent knowledge and they try right. to like be an expert. So right. it's right. actually probably a blessing. Right. Yeah, it probably was, doing. but I'm just letting, you know, you, you know, everybody to understand the, the setup. Yeah. So yeah. And that's the, important because you're yeah, realizing this is the first that- time I'm actually getting from another female that looks different from me. <laughs> this is a, my first mental health uh, provider is a Caucasian older woman. Mm-hmm. And I just broke in front of her. And I, I, I mean, I, I can tear up now because I remember just sobbing because she was basically saying, your feelings are valid. And I'm so sorry you had to deal with this by yourself, you know, and we're going to get through this. She said, it's okay, but I want you to understand your triggers I want you to understand why you make these impulsive decisions and what you're looking for. And what I was looking for, David, was validation and acceptance and love. And it's not from everybody. Everybody doesn't get that. Yeah. And so what's this journey look like? So there's people on the edge of their seat. They've been listening to you. They're connecting with you. They feel the same way. They've been through some of the same type of circumstances. What does the journey to wellness look like, Kimberly? Like, what were the steps you had to take, which I'm sure were not easy, 
they weren't instant and they took, you know, they were painful. Right. But what did you have to do to get well? I had to stop and reinvest in myself. I had to reinvest in Kim and learn to love Kim, the flaws and everything. I had to really accept through this process, I lost myself. I didn't even know about loving myself. All I wanted to do was be loved. But the first key is I had to love me to be loved. I was so busy trying to get validation and acceptance to be loved that I, I, I miss, I'm worthy too to be loved. You know, I was created to be loved the right way, the loving way, the healthy way, not, not being hurt, not being belittled, not being abused, not having to compromise, not having to buy love, but to naturally be loved just how I had been created, you know, and I had to accept my flaws and, 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 and just the wonderful creation that God has created me as my personality. I had to reinvest in myself. Like, like you said, we all have different personalities, but until I reinvested in myself and understood my personality, I've always had a kind spirit. I've always been a, a, a loving person. I have not ever been aggressive. I, 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 I shun to aggressiveness. I don't like confrontations. This is my origin. This is what my foundation has been built on. And I had to reinvest in myself and say, Kim, this is just a part of you. So when you detect or you feel that aggressive, that's not what you need in your life. That's not healthy. Instead of you... Um, embracing that because that is your norm or what you have seen that is not normal so I had to that's the steps that I had to do is get away from what I believe that was normal that was unhealthy and create a normal healthiness for me yeah and let's get to the this is good the nitty-gritty just because you're dealing with this, that doesn't mean you stop being a mom. <laughs> it doesn't mean right. you stop having family. Right. You have to work. You know, there's right. there's normal life. Like, you know, you right. see, we see these shows. I'm just going to pick one up. The Biggest Loser. I don't even know if it's on the air anymore. But you have people with huge amounts of weight and they go on the show and in a few weeks, they lose this like incredible amount of weight. But they had nothing else distracting them. It was total focus right ladies and gentlemen what Kimberly is describing and what many of us go through and if you're listening now and it's you we might be 600 pounds of emotional baggage and that's why if you can get to a place where it's like I'm not saying go meditate in a commune in the woods right but what I'm saying is if you can get time away to really just commune with God and get the mental health health right. help you need there's nothing wrong with that Right. And then you continue the journey. But how did you do this while you were engaged and still in normal life, quote unquote, normal life? I had to choose it for me because I remember 
making those decisions, getting up that wasn't working and choosing it for my, my children and still being abused, still feeling mentally anguished, depressed, disturbed, filled with anxiety, nervous as hell, didn't want to eat, sometimes wanted to eat everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, seriously. But I was like, I had to choose. This is not even for my children. And I got a now six-year-old. And I tell people, I don't wake up choosing this for her. I choose it first for me because I know she's going to benefit from it. Yeah, you can't give what you don't uh-uh. have. So if you and, don't and, have that love, you can't exactly. give it. Exactly. So I choose it for me. And I do know everybody else in my inner circle, which is my children, will benefit from it once I choose for me. But I had to make that step, like you said, to choose for me. And when I had to write the book, I had my mental health therapist on call. Like you said, I still had to work. I still had to be a parent. I still had um, other things that, you know, I wanted to do personally in my life, but I had to choose to make steps for a better me. And that was incorporating and understanding what wasn't, what was, what was, what I was doing with the cycles that I was doing and the techniques that I was using before wasn't working, wasn't working. No one should, and I'm still in my hometown, David. But I remember four or five years ago coming as a parent, going to a grocery store, still with a little anxiety or impulsiveness, looking around, is this the day that maybe I'll see my biological mother or one of my siblings or what's going to happen? Or is this one of the exes I'm going to see? Yeah, that's real. That's real. Exactly. Exactly. And what, and what am I going to say? If I see her, what, what can I say to keep her talking to me? And maybe this might be the day to, that she will say, you know, and really mean we're going to get together and we're going to build a relationship till now. I'm free of that. That is not my responsibility. That is beyond my control. If I see her, I see her. If I don't, I don't. Do you get what I'm saying? But I remember living that way. Yes. And people, places that should be neutral, like right. the grocery store, right, or places that may be positive, like church, right? You're now visiting them in terror and panic and anxiety and right. stress, and it's stealing your joy. It's there. Yes. So what and did peace. you, and yeah, peace. joy and peace. Oh, they go along yes. all the fruit of the spirit. But yeah, right. I mean, to me, the most important things at pleasing God and having joy and peace. And then passing that on to our children, family, and friends, even strangers. I mean, love God, love thy neighbor, right? Right. But what did you do each day? Like you're working with your mental health counselor, you're working each day. And it's, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's a lot of work. But what were the things she was teaching you? So each day you tweaked your life a little bit better, a little bit better. Like I said, Starting choosing to build my own self-esteem and confidence in me. And how did you do that? How did you do that? Did you like journal, then look at what you journaled and say, okay, this is the lie. This is the truth. Did she have you read certain books? What were the practical steps that helped you to wellness? Yeah. 
well, yeah, she had me read some and write, write. She always knew that I liked to write because I was telling her during my, that second marriage, I would write, I would keep journals. And she said, continue to write, continue to write every night and just write how you feel. And I would, because she knew how my background was with music and I still do that now. I'll um, just have my playlist on Amazon, just going from gospel to R&B to jazz or whatever, and just, you know, let the, the music embrace, you know, embrace me. But any positive things that we talked about that, and then I started incorporating as I started finding out more about myself and and going out and actually knowing that if I don't like to exercise and I'm not an exercise person, well, let me try just a nature walk and see if I like that. That's that's healthy, that's positive. And that's that's what I did. And I started incorporating that in my schedule. I love it. But I had to make steps and I had to choose to do them. And then I had to just act on them. I had to do them. It's 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 quite a difference when you talk about it and say this is what you're going to do and you don't do it. When you make a choice that you want a better life, you actually put that work in action. I wanted a better connection with God and the decisions that I make and to fill my heart with more love that wouldn't turn bitter or wouldn't recognize true love in the future, but be ready for it, be healed. So I knew that I had to build my connection with God more. So what I do is I don't, I don't wait to go to church every morning. I have a talk. I have my, I, I, I sharpen my spiritual, it's my spiritual connection, you know? And so I, I do the work and it's not, it's a progress. It's a process and it's progress both, but it's not, I, I don't want people to think or look at me as that this happened overnight. I had to put the work in because I had decided one day, I am not going to live like this. It's not healthy for me. And I am not going to have my last child here on earth to see that it's okay. It's okay to be in a relationship that is um, hurtful and abusive. No, it's not okay. And it's okay to know your self-worth and know who you are. And learn who you are, even if it's late in the game, you know, but for them to see by example, I had to make this choice. I couldn't leave it to them to make the choice for me. I couldn't leave it for my adopted mom. She's still living to make the choice for me. I had to make the choice for myself to choose to want a better life, to have this life that God said about an abundant life. Peace I give you and peace I leave with you. And so I say so many times is I fight hard to have peace and I fight hard to keep peace. And they are work. It's, it, it, it's a work in action to do those things. 100. When I feel like I had to learn, when I feel like if I'm if if something didn't go right on my job or something um, made me sad or I think I'm I'm getting overwhelmed or or too too much is going on from one end to another either the 
adult children are having having some difficulties here and I'm trying to deal with some household things or finances or because we all live in a type of life. It, it, things change. Things change. Nothing stays the same. I, 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 I invested in myself so much that I, I, I recognize and I'll say I, I make my I'm responsible of my own actions. I said I will socially drink when I'm about to celebrate because you know what? I know me and I know myself and I don't want to use alcohol or that feeling when I'm feeling overwhelmed. But once again, we're talking about these are choices that I had to make for me. Yes, and those are healthy choices. I know right. I this sounds silly, but like with you, like alcohol, obviously the best policy is don't drink. You can't right. become an alcoholic, right? Right. 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 And the Bible talks about moderation and moderation. balance, right. and, you know, Discipline. it talks don't be given to excess and don't right. be drunken. So right. clearly drunkenness is sin, but drinking, some people think it is, some people right. think it's not. That's right. I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I grew up in an Italian American home. It was wine's wine. You have it with a meal, but if you get drunk, you're an idiot, you know? So I grew up with a different mindset. Everybody has a different mindset about alcohol, but obviously err on the side of caution. But like you, whether it's alcohol or cigars or sleeping or whatever it is, if you're enjoying it, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about enjoying the fruit of your labor. Right. But if you're using it to deal with stress as a crutch, that's dangerous red flag. We need to wake up and see what we're doing. And it can be stress. It can uh, stress. <laughs> the stress can lead us to alcohol, drugs, pornography. It can lead us to all sorts right. of habits and sins. So we all, all of our listeners, myself, you, we all need to self-reflect. That's right. See where are we at? What are we right. doing and why? Right. So that's great that you are learning like alcohol for me, bad. No, right. no, no, right. no, no. I know when I'm going to do it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So keep going. So now you're learning, you're growing, bring us through that point in your life to today. And cho by choice, the single, <laughs> single parody and healing and now was there a fourth marriage? you mentioned a fourth marriage and i yes. have down in my notes that the third one was the guy in ministry that lasted four months yes where was the fourth marriage and where did that fit in your journey okay so the fourth marriage was with and i have a daughter by him the the last one we got married in my late 30s, 30s, going on 40 something. Yeah. And we weren't on the same page. Good person. But he had a um, drug and alcohol. He was functional alcoholic. And our life just wasn't on the same page as far as very goal driven. I don't like to be content with just media, you know, moderate or whatever. And that really taught me this last marriage really taught me, even with the decision that he made as far as, you know, drugs and alcohol. I'm not a user. I'm not, I, I, and I, I, like I said, I social drink, but I don't abuse the, I know the difference. And Even though, you know, the marriage ended and we have a beautiful daughter together, 
it had really showed me about myself of wanting to be in a marriage or in a relationship just to fill a void and not even knowing if this person is really met for me or really compatible to me and my future. I had to learn, and that one really took the icing on the cake, is it's now okay to date. It's okay to find out about another person's past, how they was brought up, because that does make a difference sometimes in their adult decisions and their lifestyle, just like it made a difference in mine. I am, once I got adopted, I was shown teamwork. I was shown you work hard to get what you want. I was shown stability. I was shown that you pay your bills, you pay them on time. You, 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 you work as a team to, to go on family events and you, you get nice things because you work hard for them, you know? So a lot of times we go into relationships or we, I can say for me, by not taking the time or feeling like we have to impulsively make a decision or rush into a decision because we don't want to be alone or want to fill that void of having a husband or having a companion and not knowing even if they're the right fit for our life, if that makes sense. So I have, I have been able to been excited with my journey and my season that I am now that it's okay for me to learn about people and who will benefit or be an asset to my world like I am to theirs. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of people are listening now and they know, like, I I know exactly what Kimberly's talking about. And there's other people who've been married. They got married when they're 18. They've been married 40 years. I'm like, what what is she talking about? They don't understand. But this is the deal. This is what I believe. I think it's biblically supported. If we're still here, mm-hmm. if we're breathing, if you're hearing our voice, our life's not finished. Right. Kimberly's not finished. She's not fully developed. I'm not finished. I'm not fully developed. You're not finished and fully developed. We're, if we took a break and came back in a year, in five years, in 20 years, we'd be like looking back at this moment saying, you know what? Since then, this is what I learned. Right. But this is where we are today. And this is Kimberly sharing her story. Right. And it's like super... There's so much you're unpacking. Thank you for sharing this with us because it's really going to help people. So now you get in this fourth marriage, it ends, bring us from there to today. And then we're going to transition to where you're going. So we can hopefully help you get there now that you've helped us for so long. Okay. So yeah, it ended and we have a beautiful daughter together and I am definitely in living the best of my life right now and allowing God to really fill me with the the wisdom and the knowledge and the healing process that I needed to journey through and embrace that as you were saying and I was just smiling because 
I know it's not the end. And all that I went through was to, to learn from and to be able to be a sound sounding voice to other people that you don't have to be ashamed of any decision, any choice or any situation that you've ever been in. But learn that there's a lesson, there's a reason for everything that we go through. There's a purpose. And if we went through it, we're definitely able to speak on it and know that we don't have to feel like we are defined by it. We don't have to feel like that's the end and we'll be nothing. Everyone that's put on this earth has a purpose. And I, I, I say strongly, no one's a nobody. I don't care how you feel your life has ended or you know has been and made some choices that you feel like, yeah, this is the end. This is what I, I had, I, the cards I decked, this is, this is it. But if it's not fulfilling you and it's not putting you in a healthy place and where you know that you're supposed to be and go, you have to make a choice for yourself to better yourself, to better your life. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. I'm living one of the best life that I can live because I started with the truth. I'm very genuine and authentic. It's nothing shameful of anything that I've said, anything that I've felt, I've done, and I've accepted it. And I've also accepted, was there choices that I could have made differently? Yes, but I didn't. And um, here I am. And I'm ready and willing to work on myself every day to get the best of life, best of quality of life that I could do everything goes perfect in my life? No. And everything is not going to go perfect in anyone's life because we don't live in a perfect world. But what we can do is believe that we have the control of our actions and behavior and responses. Once you understand that and choose to live without regrets of that, what anybody else do and say or behave will not, will, will just roll off because you're you're taking that responsibility away from you and that's what I dealt with for for years is carrying on the responsibility of other people's actions and behaviors and what they say I can't I can't we can't burden that but what we can do is live a life that and choose that life that's better for us a quality of life that we know that whatever choice behavior and actions we can have if we allow God to help us and we help ourselves because he he's not going to force you you know we all have free will when we help ourselves by taking some steps and actions then you'll be hopefully able to give your your testimony and share your journey but sharing your journey comes with a price of truth and genuine and authenticness and, and, and holding on to that and being courageous enough to say, I'm, I'm one in the number that's going to try and is going to do, put my best foot forward. Now, will I stumble sometimes? Yeah. But giving up and, and falling down and late and staying there is not an option. 
And when you take those options away, the choosing, this is not what I'm going to do. I don't even speak that even in my house of failing or, 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 or falling and, and, and staying there. We get up. We put another foot. If you got a call up, you get up and 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 do and make those changes that you have to do, whether they're your environment. Take one day at a time, changing your environment, changing the people in your circle. You know, all of it then starts coming full circle back to you. You have to make that choice. Yeah, and that's that's actually a great segue over because I was just having a conversation and we were talking about demons and we were talking about angels and we're talking Mm -hmm. about ghosts right i'm like okay well biblically when satan fell he took a third of the angels with him Mm -hmm. those angels are demons Mm -hmm. we don't know how many there are but there's a third of the angels fell chose satan over god they're damned but they're on the earth except the worst ones they're actually chained up right Mm-hmm. But the only difference between an angel and a demon was a choice. And every day we have choices, like you said, it's free will. So we can make a giant failure of our lives, or we can make a great success. And we have to do our part, and then God brings the increase. Right. But exactly what you're saying, Kimberly, is, is spot on. I agree with it. So let me ask you another question then. On your shirt, a lot of our <laughs> listeners, or a lot of our listeners are through podcasts. So if you can't see this, Kimberly's shirt, Kimberly, what's your shirt and the banner say in the background? Accept and embrace it all. (laughs) Yes. And so we have thoroughly explored those in parts, but if you were to wrap that up and give a message, what's that mean for our listeners? Accept who you are, where you are, where you're going and embrace it all. Amen. And then in your story from your birth through today, is there anything we miss significant that we need to address or you want to address with our audience? Or are we going to move on to the future for Kimberly? So like I said, I think, you know, it's important that I'll share this, that I had to deal with, even with the not a fairytale ending I did have a conversation with my birth mom that I remember a really low point. Two, 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 two moments that I'm going to share that was a low point that maybe is similar to someone else can relate. One particular moment, my one of my siblings was having a child and I met her at the hospital and my biological mother was there and I was filled with this anxiety again. And I wanted questions that was answered all, both, you know, we're all grown. And I asked her, I tried to ask her about, as uh, she was visiting my sister about, you know, our relationship and why. And she said, you have a mother. And I left that hospital and I banged on that steering wheel and I just fell, fell to pieces because if you had listened to my story before, all I've yearned was for her to accept me and to love me and be a mother. And now you're saying to me that I had a mother. How dare you tell me that I had a mother like you just don't even care. You gave me to a woman that I didn't ask for that, you know? So, and then the second time 
has been maybe not even two years ago. I seen her at the hair salon and she was getting her hair braided or getting her hair done with another um, stylist. And I was with my aunt, which is her, her sister. She's cause she's a hairstylist. And I still loved and yearned for this woman's conversation. She was in her phone the whole time. She did speak, but I remember getting my aunt something for lunch and I asked her, did she want anything? Cause we was going to go to the store across the street from the salon. Cause that's just the type of person I am. And she said, no, but when I left, I left before her because my hair was done before her. My aunt, which is her sister, walked me out. And even though I felt it, she didn't have to say it, but she's, my aunt said, I've seen her treat strangers better than she treated you. I don't understand it. And even though I know my aunt didn't say it to hurt me, I, I did a little shopping spree. I think I, I think I bought a hundred dollars worth of stuff just because I was so hurt and just, and I remember that was the last moment. And when I cried and I got my, you know, clothes in, I remember calling my exes, my ex, my uh, mother, whom was like a mother figure to me and explained to her what I had just encountered. And I remember releasing to venting and releasing to her and even releasing to God and saying, I'm at this moment in my life. I just need you to really touch my heart and, and, and take whatever anticipation of us having a relationship away. Cause I can't take it. I can't take it. I'm giving this to you. Just like I gave it to God. I said, I really believe this woman would be better off if I was dead, if I was nowhere. That way she wouldn't have to deal with me or deal with even knowing that she had me. But God, you're going to have to take this anticipation of me wanting her love, wanting her acceptance, wanting her validation away. I can't do it on my own. That was the moment. And I'm a living witness now. So that I'm letting you all know I'm still in my hometown. I released my book and I don't have a relationship with her, but I'm good. I just wanted you all to know how things that you may feel that you go through that at the end may be, you know, uh, a highlight, a fairy tale of how you want it to be may not come. And you will have to deal with it, but you can deal with it if you accept wanting better for you. Amen. Amen. So that's such a powerful thought. And I was just reflecting and I'm looking at my notes. It's like mm-hmm. you had that powerful prayer moment in this fifth grade and God just like performed a miracle and you're great. In sixth and, grade. Mm-hmm. In sixth grade. And, and uh-huh. your whole thing changed. And then in a moment, your whole relationship internally with your mother changed. And it was through that pure prayer and relationship with God. Right. But mind you, I got tired of prior years. I used to, I, 
run into her even at a gas station and fill her car up with gas because I wanted some type of connection. So I, I had to get tired. This is the point that I'm trying to make to someone. And to, when you get tired enough and you choose that and you look at everything that you've done has not worked, but has kept you in a, an unhealthy place in a place that you don't want to be anymore, you'll choose to do something about it. And I just want to give the, re the listeners this, you can do it. See, I, 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 I think I got so stuck into this voice, this hidden voice that I wasn't capable. I wasn't able to. I still want what I want. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so good. And I know if you're listening to this, we're going to get to where Kimberly is today and how you can reach out to her and connect with her. But Kimberly, let's, I want to re just ask the same question, even though you addressed it. I love doing practical steps. So I have a friend of mine who has a mother that for the rest of their life, they will long a relationship with their natural born mother. Mm -hmm. And that woman is a horrible. Now, my friend is one of the greatest humans I've ever known. Right. Her mother is a disaster, actually been in the occult, a very harsh, horrible woman narcissist the whole works but my friend still longs for the mother's love you had that prayer you said but you had to get to that point to pray it mm -hmm. for the people listening for my friend for all my friends in the podcast that i've never met right the community how would you suggest or recommend or help them start getting to that point where they can pray that prayer to god and be free well, first they, they, first I would have to make sure and ask, is this what they want? Because like I said, at the very end, this is, I had to decide it's not now what I want, but what I need, you know, I wanted what I wanted. And I even tried to sabotage relationship that was meant for me, like a, my God mom that was coming into my life that I needed to come into my life because I wanted my biological mom's love, not nobody else's love, you know? So I distanced myself for almost two years from her. But first, once anybody that's listening or your friend that knows that they're ready, you have to be ready and willing to choose to want better and understand this. And I had to get this too, by when I reinvested in myself, the way I'm created and the way we all are created. Do we deserve that type of love? Do we deserve that type of person in our life? Once you answer that question, then you start choosing differently. I deserve, whether they were from me, biological or off the street, I deserve that love, that unconditional, that Christ-like love because of who chemist is. Not because I had to buy it, not because I had to beg for it, but because of who I am. 
And that's not a forced love. It's a natural love. And then do love hurt? I remember reading something that said, I don't know what's worse, that you did what you did to hurt me or that it didn't bother you what you did. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> oh, that's and, tough. And I kept reading that thing twice and I said, oh my gosh. And it hit me like a light bulb and I said, oh my gracious. And I don't, I don't know what's worse, but I do know I can't be responsible for that. I can only be responsible for my actions and my choices after this, after this happens to me. Yeah. Wow. That just hit me in the head. Thank you. Right before the end of the episode. <laughs> that, that's a really powerful, powerful thought and statement. You know, what's more hurtful them doing it or them having no conscience about it. And yes. I, the fact that I actually have had that many times. And I think the fact that somebody can perform a horrific act is terrible, but when they have no conscience towards it, that is just mind boggling to me and super hurtful. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a heavy one to end their interview with, but let's do this. Where is Kimberly today and where are you headed? How can we help you get there? Oh, oh my gosh. I'm headed to just exploring all the uh, possibilities that's not impossible for me to achieve. <laughs> I've overcome and achieved so much that I, I, I put my mind to it. I'm not supposed to have the degrees that I have and I have them. And I chose to stop my educational career thing. I said, now this is it. This is where I, 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 I this is what I want. And this is where I'm going to stop. But now I'm headed to achieve all the other possibilities, the limitless, you know, through, through God that he gives me to, to accomplish, you know, and reaching my message to anybody that's open to hear and to just help, you know, inspire and encourage that I'm just this one person that if I know that I can sit before you and be authentic and, and transparent and say that freedom, being free of anxiety and depression is the best feeling ever. And that if I can do it, make the choice to have it happen, then you can too. But I had to, I had to put that choice at work. I had to put that choice at work and I couldn't do it just for my kids. I had to do it for Kim. Amen. And well said. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, Kim, and continue the mm -hmm. conversation or, or schedule you for coaching or just chatting, right? What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, I'm on, I have a website. It's www w kimberly ann bell all one word the a n n e all one word um dot com and that's the website you can contact me on there i'm also on facebook contact at kimberly kimberly bell and i'm on instagram kimberly bell so I'll put, mm -hmm. I'll put links to all those in the show notes so people get the proper spelling okay. and they can just click a button right 
and I can be reached at any time. I can, I, I, I love to travel, me and that six-year-old, so I can speak on, I'm actually putting something together now, Balance Being of Life, that I will be doing a, a session on the Wonder of Women event in, in D.C. So I'm, I'm still putting material together, but that's one that I would love to cover again with, with women because it's very much needed. And I know me and you, you have said that too about the balance that I'm still, you know, it's, it's a work in progress because we all have different family dynamics and we have life. I have grandchildren and I have a six-year-old, so, but I have to be mindful of the balance and I'm getting older. And like you, like, you know, we were just speaking on and um, agreeing with, we're living in a world of changes. Changes is going to come. We might not want to get old, but we're going to. <laughs> That's just the cycle of life. And even though I had my children and now the, 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 the 15 year old that I talked about, she's 32, she'll be 33 this year. And I'll, I'm getting ready to turn 50. So, I mean, I'll be 49. But I, I, I'm still mindful that generation is not the same as the generation that I'm, I'm dealing with now with my grandkids and my six-year-old. But I also hold true to some morals and values and understand that what hadn't worked then with me as far as the communication and That's the key in any relationship. You know, communication is the key. So with the communication that was lacked in my biological family home and even in my adoption home, it's explored now in a different way. So we have to do things differently. We have to change with the times, but understand also that it can be a good thing. And we just have to embrace, once again, embrace it and, and, and communicate be vocal, share, vent. It's soothing to the soul. And like you said, and cry. I was tearing up a couple of times on here, but it's good. It's good. I, it, it's, it's, it's cleansing. And sometimes I have to get mindful and I, I, I now know and I'm learning who to cry around and who, who, who's my support system. Also, be mindful of that building a, a positive and healthy support system that will hold you accountable for to stay on the right path or when they see you're slacking, that they can motivate you, they can help you and not hinder you, not distract you, not put you in a distraught situation because if you get in distraught, then that's negative. That's not, that's not the right support system. But and all these things I had to learn in the process and build a healthy support system and say, you know what, I need a moment. And, and, and respectfully, they'll understand what moment it is. Or if I just say, I, I'm getting ready to go there. And, you know, not too long ago, about three months ago, I had a little crying episode about my, my father because like we shared, that was my, that was my, that yeah, was my first loss. Love. Exactly. My first love. You might as well say my first loss and my, the, the, the overwhelming of the book and the overwhelming of my life. And I said to this particular person, I said, if my dad was here, you know, 
he would be so proud. And I just started bawling and he understood, you know, it was like, okay. He's like, yeah, it's okay. You go ahead and cry, get it out, you know, because, you know, we're humans. And like you were saying before, we're, we're not perfect humans, but we have feelings and we have emotions and we're having voice for a reason. And we have to utilize it and, and share and get our voice heard to help us, not to hinder us, but help us. And not only help us as what I'm doing now, help each other. We can't get it by, you know, I, and I want to, I want to share this one thing. My, 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 my adopted dad had only a third grade education and um, he was so wise, but he said to me, and I always, and usually with this, he taught me the scripture and uh, he said, Kimmy, he was the one that called me Kimmy. So that's why I named the book epitome of Kimmy because the epitome was the true essence that I found of myself. And the Kimmy is what he, 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 he used to say to me. He was the only one that called me Kimmy. He said, Kimmy, listen to your dear old dad. He said, I want to tell you something. This is a scripture in the Bible and I want to sum it up and I want you to take this and take this, do your ultra life journey. He said, you know, your journey. He said, the life that you're living, the race is a race. It's a race, Kimmy. The race is, is not given to the swift nor to the strong. So Kimmy, you don't have to be so fast in making things quickly done and you don't have to be the strongest. I know you try to be strong all the time, but the race that's given to you is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to the one that endure. He said, baby, if you just keep on going, if you just keep on moving, is given to the one that endures to the end. And that's what I can give to you all. Amen. And for those of you who've listened to the end without enduring, I'm sure you enjoyed it. What a great way to close. So Kimmy, thank you for being here today. You truly are a remarkable woman. You have a remarkable story. I know it's going to connect and help so many people. We really appreciate you being here today. And to our listeners, like our slogan says, listen, do, repeat for life. Don't just listen to Kim's story, but do the good that you've learned from it. Repeat it each day so that you can have a great life in this world and in eternity to come. So I'm David Pasqualone. That was Kimberly Bell. Kimberly, thank you again for being here. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you hopefully again soon. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you in the next episode or go back and listen to a previous episode. But thanks for listening. Please like the podcast, rate it, review it, share it with your friends, because if this helped you, please forward it so it can help other people. I'm David Pasqualone. Thanks for listening to the Remarkable People podcast. Ciao. The Remarkable People podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.